Good morning, everyone. I'm back on the West Coast with my partners, David Marino and Michael Mamola. And we have an extraordinary guest this morning, Peter Goldstein, CEO of Exchange Listing, Exchange Listing LLC.com. And they provide all types of strategic planning and implementation of listings on the bigger exchanges, the NASDAQ, NYSE, uh, for private and public companies. You know, Peter, I always say the stock exchange, the, the big daddies are the key indicators of where you should do business. So for me, uh, I tell people to look inward at their skills, their knowledge, their desire, and see how they're aligned, synergistic or supplementary to the top 50 performing stocks, the stable stocks, the ones that haven't moved in the last six years, and of course, the ones you think will be doing well that maybe have been crushed. Uh, you know, there's a few gaming stocks, uh, you know, the very early in the pandemic that I thought were huge bargains and ended up being correct on that. Um, for you, what is, you know, the key indicator of why so many companies are IPOing right now and where and how should people be looking at the market, the market makers and the margins they can make from those markets and market makers? You like all those M's, Mike Mola? I do. <laughs> Lots of M's. So, Dave, good morning. First off, great to see you. Good Happy morning. to be here. So, yeah, you know, it's it's the most robust period of IPOs we've seen in 20 years. So it certainly has, has the attention of the markets. You know, so far to date, you've got 94 IPOs, $27 billion, you know, with the leaders being healthcare, you know, tech and consumer. But what we're seeing are, you know, smaller companies, which is where I work, coming to market much faster than they might normally. You know, typically you've had a shift where companies wanted to stay private and mature and grow to be able to get a higher valuation. Uh, now it's happening much faster because of all the activity in the market. So if you match to peer to peer or the returns that are potential for companies, they're coming in much faster, given that they have access to capital and liquidity. And there's a big boom in the markets expected. The pipeline is very, very full. Peter, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Morning. So the market has been super robust. And for a lot of people, that might be a little surprising unless you know, right? So what do you attribute the market being so robust to, you know, given that we're still ending a pandemic? And where do you see the next growth sectors in, in IPOs? Yeah, it really is almost contrary to thinking, right? You've got ge geopolitical tension, you know, you got regulatory changes in flux, you know, you've got taxation changes, and now you have all these new variants of COVID. In the middle of all these crazy turbulent times, the market is booming. So it really is, you know, a, a great question in the sense of what are those factors? And I think if you look at strong economics sectors, you know, the the recovery in the economy the increase in the returns, companies' performance, they're coming out strong. You know, when you can show a 20 to 25% ROI uh, on the first trading days across the board, uh, that's going to attract more capital and more liquidity. Peter, I, I love that answer. And, you know, it brings me back to a lot of what we do, a lot of the founders that we work with. We do a lot of angel investing. And more and more now you hear these founders talking about with their roadmap, we're going to go pre-seed, seed, series A, series B in two and a half or three years or at the most four years from now. You know, they show you the roadmap, public exit, IPO. It, you know, you, you listen to these people and you say it's, it's never going to happen, but you see it happening, right? So how realistic when, when you have these founders and these, these new companies, these startups, how realistic is it to have that kind of a mindset? And is it helpful or hurtful? 
Well, the mindset's really important to create a playbook. You have to have a roadmap to know where you're going. Uh, you know, for all of us, that's that's kind of the standard, right? It, you have to have some type of a plan. What's happened now is normally I might have said, okay, 18, 24 months, uh, that's all being accelerated. So now the, the roadmap to leading to capital is moving faster, but really you can't step over all of the fundamentals. You have to have your qualitative components, you know, building the right team, the C-suite, the board, you know, compliance, governance. And, and often those are things that are overlooked. People want to focus more on the metrics. You have to have all the metrics in place and the qualitative to be sustainable. So you can accelerate coming to market faster, but you really have to have the right team, the right advisors in place to make sure that you don't step over any of the fundamentals. And there's a bunch of new types of, uh, well, they're not new, but there's uh, new type of offerings uh, or the majority of offerings now with uh, the old reverse mergers, SPACs uh, and the IPOs, you know, how do you determine which is the best vehicle to take a company public? You know, a lot of people, uh, you know, initially were on the SPACs and then they got burned. Now they came back. You know, what are some of the key indicators of which mechanism should you use in order to go public? Yeah, a lot of that, Dave, is specific to the company itself. You know, what sector are they in? What's the stage of development? How fast do they want to go to market? You know, is there a strategic partner or investors that are driving all that? So we look at them on a case by case. You know, one of the new tools in the tool belt for going public are crowdfunding offerings. And we just completed bringing a company that did a, a regulation A crowdfunding that led into an underwritten offering and a NASDAQ listing. So it's really on a case by case. This week we're preparing for an IPO for a private biotech company that's going public for the first time through a small micro IPO. So there's no one answer or one size fits all. I think it has to be unique to the sector to the business, their stage of development, and then the goals and objectives of the founders. Peter, I want to talk about your, your, your previous career and your previous life a little bit. I think in the pandemic, especially with the rise of the digital age, I've seen a lot more entrepreneurs in their 20s uh, and, and even in their teens uh, with different things from social media companies, NFTs, things like that. And you've got a background where you started your first company in your 20s and had your first successful exit in your 30s. Uh, so if we can turn back the clock a little bit, I would love to know the biggest lesson you learned in your 20s that helped you be successful then. And does that lesson still apply now uh, in your current role? And what would you tell, you know, that 25, 26 year old self uh, based on the knowledge you have of the market and the space now? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the question. I think now I'm 58. So I've learned a lot of lessons. Uh, a lot of you do not look a, a day yep. over 70. P Peter, you don't look, <laughs> a day, you look great. I work in the hard market. The stock market does that to people. <laughs> That's right. Premature <laughs> aging. So, you know, in, in the life of an entrepreneur, right? Like, you know, highs and lows and ups and downs. And I've had it and I've lost it and I've had it and I've lost it. I've started very young. So I'm able to bring a lot of that wisdom now and that coaching and that mentorship to entrepreneurs, both young and at varied stages of their careers. You know, I think the biggest mistake that I made early on was not surrounding myself by, you know, coaches and mentors and, and really a team of dynamic people. Most entrepreneurs have their great area of strength, and then they think they can do more on the areas where it's not their strong suit. So one of the simple lessons, just surround yourself with great coaches, mentors, you know, and individuals that can support both your strengths and your weaknesses. You know, I learned lessons early on. 
that if I could do it all over again, I certainly would engineer my exit up front and not wait until that to be a latter point and decide to do that after as a thought beyond the initial plan. So I want to build an exit strategy right up front. And that's what we do with our clients now. I love that, Peter. And, uh, you know, I think the tripod of success, teaming time and uh, team time and tech, the timing aspect of it, very important. I love what you say on your website. You say one stop because this just captures it right when you come onto your website. What's this company all about? What is Exchange Listing LLC? A one stop solution for the strategic planning and implementation of securing growth capital and listing on a global senior exchange. Got it. I know why I'm here. What about the timing component? We just talked about team. What about the timing component of this? When should companies and individuals be looking to exchange listing? We, we like to get started early. You know, the, the if the plan is to IPO, that's a pinnacle event, right? You know, in the life yeah. of an entrepreneur, a listing on a senior exchange is the goal of, of many. And so it's a major endeavor for any company, whether it's large or small. So I like to really get involved early. The earlier we get involved, the better. But if I had to say the sweet spot is probably about yeah. 12 to 18 months um, is where it seems to be really ideal for us. But that all depends on the stage of development. We just finished a project that was two years in the making. Uh, so, you know, the, the timing is really one that we can accelerate. Uh, but that sweet spot gives you time to build your team, you know, make sure you have your, your professionals around you, get your audited financials, you know, identify the right investment banker. A big portion of what we focus on is map the banker who's going to be your partner for the next, you know, 12, 18, 24 months and making sure that they're going to be your champion, that they're really going to be, you know, supporting the company to get its valuation, to bring the right investors, to create that liquidity, you know, the buy side, the sell side. Now, there's so many variables, the policies, the procedures, you know, all the things that go into supporting the IPO. But most importantly for where I look is the company's continued growth. So it's one thing, Mike, to get there, and that's the timing of, let's say, 12 to 18 months, and another thing to be growing sustainably then as a senior listed company. And we've talked about timing now. Uh, what about the risk tolerance? Where do the, the risks lie uh, when you're doing these types of transactions? You know, everybody has their own tolerance, and especially with so many multivariable accelerated changes, uh, the historical, you know, you've been in the market longer than I, the, the interesting thing is I know long works, long works with entrepreneurship and it works with right. the market. It works with real estate too, that, you know, no matter what happens in the short term, it, in the long run, in the historical existence of the real estate market, the stock market, we continue to succeed. And so beyond long as a risk tolerance, uh, what are some of the things, indicators that people should be looking at with all the accelerated change for whether or not to do these types of things? I always just try to focus on fundamentals. So key in on management, right? You know, it's it's the old adage, David, you're betting on the jockey, you know, and, and not just the horse. So, you know, really focus in on management. and <laughs> Bless and you, David. The peer -peer Thank you. God bless. <laughs> Sorry. You know, peer to me, are like critical, right? Like, you know, if you're comparing apples to oranges, you're going to have a hard time being able to determine the outcome of a company, short-term, mid-term, long-term. So peer group, and then those key metrics, the measures that are going to give them comparables, and are they hitting them or exceeding them? Wow. Mike, you got one more, Dave? Good, Mike. Yeah, yeah I do. What are the, you know, what are the changes or, or the most 
exciting opportunities that we see in the future, in the near future, as a result of technology, because these things are tough to keep up with, right? Tech is changing. We, we talked yeah. about NFTs and, and other things. How, how is all of this going to factor into it in, a, in, in the short term? Wow, loaded, loaded question. Uh, it's all it's all coming so fast, Mike. Right? Yeah. Like you know, it, it's just the pace has accelerated so much. So you know, right. that's the, the excitement. You get to work with all these dynamic entrepreneurs that, while we're talking, already creating solutions that didn't exist yesterday. So it's really about keeping up with the pace and being advanced and on that cutting edge of tech as it applies to finance and the markets. Yeah. Is Go ahead, Mike. I have Go. one more, Dave. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah is there any excitement? Is there any? Is, is there anything happening with some companies that we should be excited about in the crypto or NFT space? Because you know they haven't. They're just starting to happen now. Is there a conversation yeah. about those things? There are, and and you know, for for one of the things that I'm seeing now, like I just saw a company that I'm tracking uh, in the mining space because China shut down and regulatory changes, it all shifted to the U.S. And out of nowhere, companies are going to go from, you know, pre-revenue to hundreds of million dollars of growth overnight. Right. So it's really phenomenal. You know, the regulatory changes create the risk that Dave was talking about. But inside of that are just tremendous opportunities that are happening inside of the combination of, you know, finance and technology. Yeah. Well, I've never met a Peter Goldstein I did not like. And you've uh, now set the bar even higher. CEO of Exchange <laughs> Listing, exchangelistingllc.com. Peter, thank you so much for the insight. I know there is so many people out there that are curious and learning more about this. So please go to exchangelistingllc.com, learn about the benefits and the risk in going public. Thank you so much, Peter. We'll have you back on. Great. Thanks, guys. It was a blast. Thank, thank you, Peter. <laughs> awesome. All right. Next up, Diana Lee, co-founder and CEO of Constellation Agency, constellationagency.com. Uh, Diana, welcome to Office Hours. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I feel like uh, you should be on Good Morning America, not on Office Hours. Oh my gosh, great background there and, and setup. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. I'm kicking back at the Hampton Inn here. Uh, anyway, Diana, <laughs> um, <laughs> you've been um, you know five years uh, working in uh, one of the fastest growing sectors. Uh, I still think people don't understand the size, scope, and scale. Coming from traditional marketing myself with Lee Steinberg and Samsung and Sports One Marketing, um, but you've really taken on you know a specific niche of taking advantage of technology and the changes. Uh, one specifically, the privacy changes uh, that uh, will keep on changing, by the way, and others will come about because there is such size, scope, and scale to this business. Um, you know, where and when did you decide, you know what, I'm going to do things differently and I'm going to figure out how to, you know, react in a beneficial way to changes by utilizing technology and other things. When did that decision, because in 2016, people weren't looking that far ahead. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting because the birth of Constellation Agency, um, if you listen to the name, it's Constellation Agency. It's first started as an agency model and very quickly it shifted and mainly because of the fact that we had to solve a problem. And our problem was we couldn't scale based on actually doing hyper-local advertising. So we wanted to do, instead of three to five broad ads, we wanted to make hundreds of ad units for our clients, hyper-localizing the audience. 
But in doing that, you can't do it by hand. And that's why we went straight into tech. So I think a lot of our model has been about looking at the future, looking at the changes and innovating based on all the things that are happening. And that's what Constellation was really good at from the very start, which is like, let's not just call ourselves an agency and just go through that model. Let's innovate whenever we have to innovate. Let's actually, you know, um, create teams and create people to join our organization to continue the innovation. So it started very early on. Awesome. Diana, that's tremendous. And you're an inspiration to many. Uh, your background and your story is the quintessential American dream. <laughs> Having emigrated here uh, from South Korea, working in your parents' convenience store, uh, it's tremendous. And, and, and being a child also of immigrant parents, I know the two sort of things that they preach all the time are hard work for themselves and education for their kids, right? Uh, and then for the kids, it's kind of both. What was the biggest lesson you learned kind of, you know, coming to this country, working long hours at a convenience store? How has that given you an advantage? And this is something I talk about a lot. And Dave talks about it a lot, too. It's like these circumstances, getting that grit, you know, from these circumstances gives you an advantage when you enter into the, the marketplace with everyone else that may have come from a different background. So do you see that as an advantage? And, and, and what lessons did you take from that experience? Yeah. And at the time, I never saw it as an advantage. Instead, I saw it as a burden, right? Um, coming from immigrant parents where you're watching them work 15 hour days, watching my mom um, get uh, held up at gunpoint many, many times throughout our lives, coming home to an empty house because we've gotten robbed, um, because we had to live in the slums. You don't want to burden your parents and ask them for a dollar, right? And so when I went into college, my whole thing was, how do I not ask my parents for money? Because they see the hardships they're going through. And then also, um, coming from also an immigrant background, they've always told me right from the very young age, you know, my ancestors and everybody are watching me. I, you know, I would put them to shame if I didn't actually succeed in life. There's just a lot of pressure coming from immigrant parents and some good, some bad. Uh, but that pressure of not wanting my parents to suffer anymore was the real point of where I decided that I needed to be independent as quickly as possible and earn money. Absolutely incredible. Congratulations to you. Congratulations to your parents. Um, just love stories like that, right? That's what it's all about. Uh, switching gears back back to Constellation Agency for, for a moment. I, I know that there have been some pretty substantial changes in, in the form of you know cookies and now a, a future cookie-less uh, future in technology. And some of our listeners probably know what that means and some don't. So maybe if we can explain that a little bit, what changes have Apple and Google and Facebook made and how can, you know, in agencies like Constellation help address those needs? So I'm truly frustrated about what's really happening out there. And, and the reason is because the big techs are kind of spinning it, I believe, as protecting the consumer. But I don't believe that to be true. So currently, right now, with Apple and Facebook, they're having a war. And the, the war is because Apple's decided that anybody who wants to actually um, go into an app will be asked the question, do you want to be tracked? That's the question that they're asking. Do you want to be tracked? My partner, who's 32 years old, actually marked no to that question. Okay, And most consumers, 96% of them are all saying no. So anybody in their right mind would say, I don't want to be tracked. 
right? But that's not what's real. And that's not the question. So they're not asking you, do you want advertising? Because you're going to get advertising digitally, whether you like it or not. What's happening is you're not going to get personalized advertising. So what that basically means is many of you, um, you know, like a man might get actually an ad for a tampon. A female may actually get an ad for a necktie. It's what's called personalized advertising. And why that's so valuable that people don't understand is it creates efficiencies way beyond what we actually remember the world to be. So if I'm an avid motorcycle rider, I love the fact that I'm going to get targeted ads about different types of motorcycles that come into market. Those are the things that are going away. And how many of us have purchased items online when we went to like Amazon and we left and the exact product as well as similar products now target us. And now we can efficiently shop for that product based on price, product, color, trim, without having to go to individual websites to find that product anymore. That is what's called efficiency. That is what's ending right now. And in the future of what's called a cookie-less future, meaning that we no longer are going to use website interests anymore in order to find that information out, all of that is going away. So what I feel bad for is the sophisticated marketers will be able to figure out a solution. In fact, they already have. We have. But the mom and pop businesses out there that are already struggling to actually market their products, they don't know what these solutions are. And at the end, are they going to stay alive if they can't get people to their site that's relevant to what their products are? And so that's the issue that I'm finding. Yeah, Diana, it's interesting because, you know, hyperlocalization is the key. And in order to have hyperlocalization, you need to have the data of interest. Um, and I think the issue for me is the exact same people that are now trying to protect us are the ones that stepped over the line uh, by utilizing, you know, our webcams and the Alexas and the microphones to pick up words that actually created inefficiency because I may mention tampon to David in front of my phone and everyone has had this occur, right? We're having a conversation about something and all of a sudden I'm hit, getting ads about the conversation I just had when it, I know it was a very obscure conversation and there was no coincidence uh, that that was happening. On the other side, hyper-localization is why the bigger agencies and the more savvy and sophisticated marketers uh, understand how to manipulate and, and maximize the market with that efficiency when you can afford to or you understand to put out hundreds of pieces of content um, and allow you to build those micro-communities. How can the mom-and-pop shop, with what's going on, create this hyper-localization without an extreme expense. See, I always thought it was going to be the big boys were going to push out the little boys and girls uh, by the, the market spend, the, in the, but the, the market's so big, they can't do that. So now what they've done is narrow the market so they just own it themselves. How can the mom and pop shops compete with that? That's exactly right, David. The big techs are basically saying it's our data now. We don't have to share it. We don't have to sell it. And at the end of the day, it's first party data to us. So we're the only ones that can use it. So in many, many ways, Apple, Google, Facebook, uh, Amazon may all come out and say, hey, you know what? 
The only way to market is off of our platform. At the end of the day, we have all of the data. And so you have to always come through us. That's what's so scary. Pushing out any type of situation of competition, it's become a bigger and bigger monopoly. And they're using the words, oh, we're protecting the consumer, which in reality, that's not the truth here, right? And we all know that. For the mom and pops out well, there- I, I, I hate in- to sneeze like David, but- Bullshit! that's exactly right that's exactly right and so and we're not talking about that we're talking about oh consumer safety you know let's not get tracked and that's making me crazy here because that's not really what's happening so the mom and pops out there they have the most valuable data to them that's the customers that are already coming to them that information in their crm can be downloaded and entered in to the Facebook, let's say, right? And from there, they can create what's called lookalike audiences of the people that are already coming to them. That is free. And that is a way for you to use your type of clients, ingest it into the media companies, and then create lookalike audiences from there and target those customers that look like the customers that come to their websites. So that's one. The second one is if they did have a little bit of money, the best way to actually is to purchase what's called third-party data. And third-party data are purchase data. That is probably one of the most powerful data assets out there, meaning that these are not customers that went to a website to find that product because those customers may or may not buy your product. Those cus- The customers I'm talking about, purchase data, are the ones that actually already purchased those types of products. So there are data uh, aggregators such as Oracle and IHS. Those guys sell those types of data assets and they're the most powerful because it's purchase data, customers that purchase those vehicles instead of website data, people who just go on those websites. That they could purchase, download that into the media companies such as Facebook and then create lookalike audiences of those as well. And then the third thing is, I believe, nowadays, you can't really do a lot with still advertising, picture ads. The main reason is because you will no longer have any data from there. They can't, customers can't actually go into a picture ad and do any selections. But there are immersive ad units out there where people can go in, select product, trim, model, color, and inside the ad unit. As long as they don't leave the app, then you could retarget anybody that's actually interested in those products. So those are the three quickest ways to actually get around uh, the iOS 14 and cookie this future issues. Wow, that, that, that's amazing. And you talk about efficiency, I'm all about it, but I'm sure I'm not the only person that has literally thought about something and never searched it and then something pops up. I don't yeah. know where that comes from, but it's, 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 it's literally trippy. I'd love to talk about, about the company and its growth. Uh, taking this past year revenues from 20 million to 40 million, but the most unique thing about your company is that you guys have had no outside funding uh, to get to where you are today. Tell us a little bit about that process and what you attribute that to, because that you are truly a unicorn to have a $40 million <laughs> company without taking a dollar from outside. Yes, um, it was because at 
First of all, I think it's really hard to raise money when you are also uh, an immigrant or a minority out there. And then many times, well, I didn't want unless to, you went to Stanford. Unless you went to Stanford. If you're, if you're an immigrant minority that's that went true. to Stanford, that's true. 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 My kids going to Stanford. I thought, my, I thought my kids were, but they're too good for Stanford. <laughs> That's so true. That's very true. Yeah. So in the beginning, I didn't want to give up so much of my company right up front and, and actually be worth nothing right uh, throughout. So I started to do what was called a prepay and it works. So what it does is in the very beginning, I told my customers, listen, in order for me to actually do this for you, you just have to prepay me for a month in advance. And they became the float for me to the right. point that even now I have a, a million dollars worth of prepay that happens on a monthly basis on a subscription model. And, you know, people are like, what do you mean? I can't do that in my business. So we won the entrepreneur of the year for the regionals for EY this year in 2021. And I had met a woman um, and she basically had asked, you know, how did you do it? And I said, I did it as a prepay. And she said, you know what, my clients such as Pottery Barn or West Elm or Nordstrom's would never do that. I said, have you asked them? And she said, no. I said, go and ask them to do it as a prepay for your product. She came right back and she said they would prepay 70% right up front. 70%. She still didn't raise money as well. And she's hitting 25 million this year. So this is what I'm saying. A lot of times we we as entrepreneurs think the answer is going to be no before we actually get started. But here's an example. It just asks your customers to prepay the item for you. And many of them will say yes, or they'll do percentages of it. And instead of raising money where you're cutting your evaluation to almost 50% on your first round, you don't have to do that. So that's really where it all came from. Oh, Absolutely amazing awesome. advice. So, Diana, thank you so, so much. We appreciate you. We got to have you back because there are so many companies that need to learn even more. And we just are scraping the surface yeah. uh, when it comes to Constellation Agency and what you guys are doing. Uh, please, everyone, reach out, constellationagency.com. Uh, take advantage of the situational knowledge of someone that has been here since the inception and understands how to build those micro communities. I always say all it takes is a thousand ambassadors for your company, your brand in order to effectuate a very successful uh, venture. So Diane, thanks for leading the way and we appreciate you come back and visit us soon. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. You got it. Thank, Thank you. Thanks Bye -bye. Diana. Sorry for cutting you off, Mikey. We got to keep this. Oh, no, it's just got, Yeah, thank you. I got Clubhouse in my training next. All right. We are keeping on track here on Office Hours. We have the incredible Lee Moore Schaffman, and she is the Director of Strategy and Operation for LG Nova, uh, lgnova.com. And they're having Mission for the Future, uh, .lgnova.com. And on October, I believe, 25th, uh, they're going to, uh, that's the deadline uh, for the mission for the future. And we're in LG are looking for new technologies, concepts, and business ideas. Welcome to Office Hours, Lee Moore. Thank you so much, David. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for inviting us to Office Hours. Can you hear me okay? Beautifully. You look perfect Fantastic. and sound even better. So, um, you know, what's interesting. I, I have a TV show, well, I have several, Elevator Pitch, uh, which is in the seventh season. 
which I executive produced, and then Two Minute Drill, which uh, we are filming November, the third season of. And I'm always astonished how difficult it is to find people. You know, everybody seems to, to, to reach out that are willing, you know, to go ahead and, and, and try out for these types. Of, there's so many great things. I mean, LG is known for innovation, uh, you know, and here you have this great opportunity, even if you don't win or you don't make the, the, the lessons learned will accelerate your business beyond belief because you get so many experts uh, with situations. And even if they're not experts, you get differing opinions and perspectives uh, which are most important for startups. And, you know, why do you think it's so difficult to find, you know, I, I, I've always said I get like 2,500 uh, applicants. I thought I would get 25,000. Uh, you know, why do you think it's so difficult to, to find more people? Well, you know, I think there are a lot of phenomenal ideas out there. I think one of the things that we're seeing is that it's one thing to have an idea, which is awesome. You have to start with that. But then there's a whole lot of understanding and being able to really be resourceful and resilient. I think those are the two things that are really crucial for startup and startup leaders and founders to have. Um, and to believe that, and it's a combination of believing in yourself, knowing your idea, being able to listen to others and still be able to hear what they have to say, to listen to the marketplace, absolutely crucial. And so what we're looking for, and we'll talk a little bit more about what LG Nova is doing and what we're looking for, what we're looking for are people who have a passion and yet are willing to also build businesses with us, which requires this sort of give and take and understanding of what we can do together. And so we're looking for people who have clear vision and at the same time are willing to have that conversation. And I think in general, most investors um, are looking for that kind of an understanding and ability to, to find those, those leaders who are coachable so you can give the feedback as well. So I think that's this combination that we're looking for. Yeah, it, it, it's so underrated thinking about the, the the founders and the startups, you know, being able to collaborate with minds like yourself and even like Dave, what he's talking about with Two Minute Drill. I mean, the value you get from the collaboration from folks that have been through it before, have done other innovations or like Dave, have started and exited companies, uh, I think is an invaluable experience. And you guys can go a lot further together than individually, which is awesome. Uh, I'm fascinated about by, by technology, obviously, like like most people are, and I know that you've got a great background. And you're an expert in smart buildings and smart cities. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about you know what innovations we've seen in those spaces? Because a lot of I feel like just the general public don't know about what's going on with these smart buildings and smart cities, and what's been mm -hmm. sort of the, the the biggest innovation that's made everyday life easier. Because that's the goal of innovation is to make people's lives easier, to get places faster. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure, absolutely. Thank you for the question. Um, so I'm going to take it all the way to the extreme of where the greatest innovation is, and that is with digital twins. So I don't know how many people are might be familiar with the concept of a digital twin. I'll explain yeah. it very briefly, just in, just in case. Is so my digital twin? I think he is. I'm your digital twin. <laughs> there you go. Say <laughs> I'm your digital twin. They just screwed up the program and made me look terrible. <laughs> so we're we're all um, um, David. We're all digital quadruplets here. Um, so um, you so you won in a, twin. in a digital genetic war. I'm sorry. You won. You must be the fourth. You must be the fourth. She is now the uh, Dave Meltzer four version yeah. of the digital twin <laughs> <laughs> well we could also always regenerate right that's what's right, so fantastic right. about the digital world 
Um, so you, what's, what's, so digital twins are basically a, a, and actually in the smart buildings world, they are a true replica or they can be a true digital replica of what is happening in the virtual, in the real world. And so what you see happening is that both from a building perspective, but also from a city perspective, from a, from a country perspective, because actually most of the world is now already mapped out. Um, uh, and also it's starting to be digital twinned. So what you're seeing is that every single element of a building, all the different functionality, all the systems are being digitally twinned. Sensors are being put throughout a building. So not only do you understand what is taking place at every single level from the use of electricity and water and waste and et cetera, but also how the buildings are then linked to the grids, the electrical grids. Um, so you're able to basically operate an entire building and see what is going on, one, automatically, but two, completely remotely. So you do not know, facility managers are now no longer about the HVAC systems and engineers. They are literally software engineers because they, they're able to have a replica of the building in front of them, see all the functionality of the systems and can basically monitor everything and also deal with issues that arise from a remote location. And what's really powerful is that real estate developers are able to do this on a portfolio basis. So let's say you're a big developer, you're actually able to see all your properties in a digital way and also see which ones are operating well, which aren't, which HVAC systems are operating well, which aren't, et cetera, et cetera. You can also monitor traffic and how people are using the building. So that way you can see, you know, if we're gonna do maintenance, we're gonna do maintenance at these particular hours. If we have to replace an HVAC, a generator or something like that, these generators are doing well, these are not. You can anticipate and anticipate in advance when a generator needs to be replaced, et cetera, et cetera. So this is, incredibly powerful please david sorry i was going to say yeah the um the integrated cad uh systems that are out there change i work with stadiums and arenas mm -hmm. and okay. you know with even heat mapping just to you know raise awareness and alert uh it's an entirely different world from when i started in the sports industry and met a facility manager they look like more a janitorial service person uh mm -hmm. and now when i meet them they look more like a, a startup ceo uh, that has to understand the technology behind and analyze what they're doing. So sorry for interrupting. And I want to say hi to no. Sarah as well. She made a guest appearance. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, do you have a question? The, the no. I, I did. Um, uh, good morning. Just good morning. To, to build on what Dave was just talking about, what are some of those things that you find to be the most helpful for some of the individuals looking to accomplish things in this area? Is it coding is it programming what are the things because more and more this is this is tech based right like you said mm -hmm. it's not hands on it's not people physically going in it's programming different things what are the things that people can do now to prepare themselves for the future to really scale and succeed in this industry and are you talking about the smart buildings smart, smart buildings and technology just overall yeah because mm -hmm. i know lg's right you're building out through lg nova the the uh, an ecosystem that that embodies um, LG's innovation for a better life philosophy. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. what are some of those skills that people can develop to help get them into building products or creating things that create that better life that LG is hoping to provide for all of us? Sure. Um, well, I think there are a couple of things. One, you actually really need to understand um, the systems that are in place um, and how things actually function in the real world. 
Um, then it's a need to understand how to actually and be innovative about how to bring innovation into the space. And But how do you do that? You need to really understand, like goes back to the entrepreneurial um, understanding. You under, need to understand your marketplace and you under, need to understand their pain points. So that's also one of the things that we're looking for at LG Nova. It's yes, we are in the smart. Of course, we're in the smart home space, right? Everyone knows that we are in uh, sustainability heavily into sustainability and things around energy and power. Um, so which is really important. But what we're looking for is, OK, you're in the marketplace. What are the gaps? What are you seeing that nobody else is seeing? What innovative solution do you have that you can bring and that you can bring to LG Nova and that we can build together. So those are the kinds of things that we're looking for. And so, so I would say it's really about paying attention to the marketplace. And it's not about everything being about coding and digital. It's really understanding the, the marketplace and what the need is. And then you figure out, okay, what do I need to do? I need to code an app. Oh, you know what? I need to develop a, uh, an IoT enabled device that fits with an app that can fit into this ThinQ uh, platform that LG that LG has. And we, that's how we can build something together. So really understanding the marketplace, I think, is key and everything derives from that. Makes and then more, yeah. you know, as we finish up, I think it's important. Uh, how can people apply? Uh, I know they have mm -hmm. till October 25th for the miss, uh, you know, mission for the future. Um, uh, application how how do they apply you know where and what should you know the process be how long does it take i think when we reduce uh the fear we get more people to go ahead and it's so important as you said because you know one of the areas that i found is so interesting is moms be, and i think believe it or not lg is in the mom industry because there's no better entrepreneur than the mom that you know puts her her child in the car seat and says to herself why is it so difficult when my kid has a winter coat on to put a kid in a car seat, what we need is something that allows me not to have to, you know, do this. And then you have this great innovation. Uh, and here, when you're dealing, especially in smart homes, smart cities, where entrepreneurs are going to save the world, it's important to get the facility managers and the janitorial service and the mechanics. And, you know, these people that now have an inkling of, of innovation and technology to come and apply and say, Hey, Here's specifically, you know, the car seat example, but I'm utilizing this every day and the ROI is even greater uh, in the scalability. So I need LG's help. How do people apply uh, for mission for the future? Sure, sure. For, for, first of all, all people are welcome, period. Um, we welcome the ideas. We welcome the companies uh, of any size, whether you are a startup all the way through um, more established companies, because we believe we can build something to you, with you together. Um, I think it's also important for us to note what are the different areas that we're looking at. We're looking at the area of metaverse, of EV charging. Think of that in the broadest sense of the word, and also platforms, transactions, the experience around EV charging. Um, we're looking at e-healthcare, remote e healthcare. Again, think of these in the broadest context, and you're going to find out more about this on our websites and also smart homes and smart lifestyles. So there are a couple of places to go. LGNova.com. That's where you're going to see our overall mission about LG Nova. And let me just take a moment, very brief moment here. What we're about is about outside in innovation, really listening to the marketplace, doing basically what entrepreneurs are doing. We're listening to the marketplace. We want to hear from you. Um, and then we're going to build together with you what that new innovation is. And so to, to partner with us, you want to go to missionforthefuture.com. 
um, missionforthefuture.lgnova.com. But just go to lgnova.com. It'll take you right there. Um, and then just apply. And if there are two phases to the process, you still first, first need to apply. We take a quick look at the company. Then you also make it to phase two. You're able to provide further information. And then, um, yes, it, you have until October 25th. Do not miss this date. Um, and one of the key things that we want to hear from you, this is really, really important. We're going to be in there with you. One of the key things that we're doing that other people are not necessarily doing is we are going to be working with you. We have a group of incubators, a, an incubation team, excuse me, a group of ERRs, entrepreneurs and residents. They're going to be working hand in hand with you to figure out how we can build the business together. So this isn't just about us throwing money at you or something like that. This is we are right there with you. You're going to be part of what's called the LG Studio. And this is going to help you work with us to build that business. And so that's absolutely key. And we want to hear from you how you see that happening. That's a key thing to make sure that you include in the application. Um, and then, you know, we are going to make our decisions by uh, December. And then you're going to start with us J January 2nd. We're going to be right there with you. So we're looking forward to it. Ask for help. If entrepreneurs are going to save the world, uh, LG is reaching out to help everyone. And we can change and save the world with people like Lamore Schaffman from LG Nova. Thank you so much for providing this opportunity to our community and to everyone. Uh, it's amazing. If you don't ask for help, you don't deserve it. Uh, that's as easy as it comes. You're amazing. Thank you so much. We appreciate Thank you, you so much, David. Thank you so much, David. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, well, we you got training right after this, which is uh, the perfect pitch training. We're gonna have a pitch competition. The winner's gonna get to be on Two Minute Drill, filming in November. Uh, so very excited. But uh, like nobody studios, LG's out there uh, in the same context uh, with a lot more force uh, behind it with great relationships, and it's amazing. A company like LG is willing to do that, and people are out there going, uh, you know, they'll call me. What can I do? I'm like, well, why not apply? <laughs> why not apply? and give it a shot believe it or not you you they will look at every single one and you 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 know you will have an open door as if you went to stanford right they're in the silicon <laughs> valley uh so you don't have to go to stanford to have access lg will give it to you i promise so everyone reach out to lgnova.com all right time for takeaway of the day before we get to the perfect pitch training on my webinar and clubhouse uh, David or Mike, who wants to go first? Raise your hand. Oh, Mike, Dave wins. <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, Dave. awesome. It's like Family Feud, right? Uh, yeah. We heard it for so long, for Did so long. Uh, there you go. <laughs> We'd be a great Family Feud team, actually. Um, yeah. Oh, against the Meltzers. Doo, doo, doo. <laughs> We've heard for so long that great minds think alike, but I've always believed, and I know you two believe also that great minds think for themselves. And what we see is when folks think outside the box, really great things happen. Uh, for for, for uh, like Diana, for example, doing the prepay to fund her company, I thought was genius and something that took a lot of guts to do. And it's obviously abstract thinking and got to got her to where she is today. And then with LG Nova, obviously, they're looking for abstract thought to really change the world. And these are things that are not recycled ideas. These are ideas that are new and nuanced. So, again, think outside the box and don't be afraid to be different. Love that. And for me, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of, uh, it builds on Dave, your wind down routine, but it's that tomorrow starts today and it really does. Right. And so Peter, if you're, you're thinking about your company, um, you know, 
rather than just running it day to day. You have to be thinking about where am I six, 18, 24 months from now and what should I do or what can I do to go public or not? And with Diana, like the, the things that she was experiencing growing up, didn't even realize that, that tomorrow was happening today for her in many challenging ways and used a lot of those lessons to build out Constellation Agency, which, you know, now is taking those same those same lessons and applying them to the changes that are being made by Apple, Google, and Facebook so that Constellation can help you succeed. And Lemoore, the same thing with regard to reaching out, LG giving individuals and startups the opportunity to be part of the future by applying today. So for me, that's the lesson and the takeaway. I give you an extra point for that one, Mike. That's a great takeaway. I love that one. And uh, uh, for, for me, the takeaway is ask for help. So many people talk about going public but they don't reach out to Peter Goldberg. So many people want help with digital marketing, but they don't ask help from Diana. So many people, you know, want to have a studio of help. They want to pretend as if they went to Stanford. Uh, and then instead of living in liability, why don't you live in accountability and attract all the things that you want very simply by applying to the mission for the future at lgnova.com. Ask for help. And furthermore, ask me for help. I'll give five-minute phone calls to anyone, 20-minute meetings, 20-minute interviews. Apply to two-minute drill, dmeltzer.com forward slash pitch. Ask for help. $50,000, Mike, of cash surprises. We give away over now. Uh, we give away every single episode, 12 episodes. Amazing. And, you know, yeah, we get thousands of applications. We should, by the number of people that are looking for help and aren't asking, we should have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of applications to be on Bloomberg TV, to be on Amazon, to win $50,000. And even if you don't do that, to get the awareness to your business and learn something. Holy moly, everybody, ask for help. To that measure, if you want to learn how to pitch in about, uh, what, 10 minutes, in 10 minutes, come join me. We have our webinar. Uh, we have uh, on Clubhouse, the Breakfast of Champions, the Perfect Pitch Training we're going to have a pitch competition. The winner is going to get on the show. We're going to answer questions. Come and ask for help. Come join us. Thank you, Mike Mamola. Thank you, David Marina. Thank you, Marino. Thank you, Simba. We enjoy all three of you. I'm surprised I don't see you, but I'll catch you guys in a couple minutes. I want to say Thank one you. thing. Yeah. Dave Meltzer graphic team. If you don't ask for help, then you don't deserve it. All right? You Put that it. on the graphic with Dave Meltzer. That's a good one. I love it, man. Thank Definitely you, guys. That. Office Hours with Dave Meltzer, Mike Mamola, and David Marino. We'll catch you on Clubhouse. Remember, David at dmeltzer.com. You want my ebook, audiobook? You want me to sign a book and send it to you, pay for shipping in the book? It's not a problem. Try out for Two Minute Drill. Apply to LG Nova. Ask for help. Ask for help. We are here. Five minutes for anyone. I'll give you a five minute phone call, 20 minute meeting, and 20 minute interview. Not a problem. You got to email me, though. David at dmelcher.com. You don't get unless you ask. Remember, most importantly, we'll be here in about seven minutes on Clubhouse and a Breakfast of Champions with Glenn Lundy and David Meltzer in a perfect pitch competition for two-minute drill. Be kind to your future self and do good deeds. Thanks so much. <laughs>